Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. In this off-script episode, Dan Fitzsimmons and I probe the culture by discussing one of the great hidden philosophies of life, hyper-individualism. Before we get into this discussion, I just wanted to thank those who provided feedback for last week's episode and encourage you that if you have any recommendations on how we can improve this off-script series, that you would go ahead and visit restitutio.org and leave a comment. And we hope to keep putting out these off-script episodes for a while. Here is today's discussion. Last week, we looked at seeing the filter and we discussed how the culture is constantly nudging our intuition or our sense of what's normal, what's plausible, what's reasonable, without us really realizing it. And we called this scripting or putting a filter over our eyes. And so this week, what we want to look at is a specific cultural narrative or a specific way in which the culture is doing this. And we're calling this hyper-individualism. I have Dan with me here today, and we're going to be discussing what this cultural force is. We're going to be dissecting it a little bit, looking at its pros and its cons, and then analyzing it from a Christian perspective to provide some sort of positive way forward. Let me just start by introducing the concept here. The concept is simply twofold. One, self-discovery, and two, self-actualization. So hyper-individualism, I like to summarize it by saying it's look within yourself to find your inmost desires, and then number two, make those desires reality over against any externalities, including what the society says, what your family says, what tradition says, and in so doing, you play the hero. So what do you think about that, Dan? I don't know if it didn't exist generations ago, but certainly it's been amplified in my generation, and I don't see any sign of it slowing down. And and it's an attractive idea that, you know, you're unhappy, and there are all of these external forces around you that are negatively affecting you, and finally there's some sort of event in your life that, that lets you know, okay, I need to make a change. And then, you know, the next morning you wake up and you you know, you're motivated and, and you have an idea about something that you want to do and you, you go off and you, you're, you play the own, you're the hero in your own, in your own life. And I'm not surprised that it's, that it's as powerful as it is because, yeah. um, it's self-determination and that's an attractive idea of, of being in control. In my life, I, you know, I graduated college in, in 2010 and I got a job soon thereafter and was very blessed with it. I worked for a news weekly called Strauss News, and during the course of me working there, the company had bought three newspapers down in New York City. And when that happened and I heard about that, I immediately knew that I wanted to get down there and be a reporter. That's what my degree was in, is in uh, journalism. So I told my publisher that, that, you know, I want to get a shot at being a reporter down in New York City. Thankfully, she, she let me do that. And that was in uh, 2013 that I, that I got that opportunity in the summer of 2013. So I'm down there, I'm doing it. Uh, it's going well, but 
you know, things that happened in my life and I wasn't feeling that New York City was the place for me to be, even though it is a media mecca. It's a great place to be a journalist. And it's, it's, the, it's the place that people say to go if you're going to try to make it right. in journalism or other right. similar fields. Right. So I was down there and, I, you know, I was thinking about these things and I sort of came to a point where I had decided that I needed to get out, uh, even though conventional wisdom tells me, no, stay in New York City. That's where you're going to get a big break. That's where all the good stories are. And I went on a, a few interviews and at other places outside of the city, specifically in, in the capital region and without fail. And, and for good reason, you know, one of their main questions that they had for me is why did you want to leave New York City? It's very against the grain, both professionally to, you know, leave a place like that when you're already there, because it, it can be a hard place to break into. It was sort of against the grain. There's this allure that, that the city has. And some of my friends that I had down there and some of my friends that I have up here had asked me why, you know, why, why I would want to leave. It was, and it wasn't a negative thing. They, they were genuinely curious why, you know, why I would want to do that. So I told them, you know, and I got into the different things in my life, but you know, that in my life is an example of what we're talking about here. We're realizing something and then, and then doing it. And it's not necessarily what Did you, you might expect. Okay. What about some other examples in the culture of this hyper individualism idea? Uh, I think, you know, in the media, you see it a lot. It's a very uh, sort of well-worn narrative. Uh, I think a lot of the movies that you would you would see today would sort of follow this line of, you know, you have your protagonist and they're in a situation in their lives and they get out of it through pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and realizing that they need to make a change. One of the examples that, you know, when thinking about this that I came up with was the movie Eat, Pray, Love. I'll just read the synopsis here. And this movie grossed, I think, 80 million domestically and over 200 million worldwide. But the synopsis on imdb.com is a married woman realizes how unhappy her marriage really is and that her life needs to go in a different direction. After a painful divorce, she takes off on a round-the-world journey to find herself. You know, that's a couple sentences. And it's a very, like I said before, it's a very well-worn sort of narrative of this idea that you find yourself and you find happiness and you go outside of your comfort zone. And with that is the courage to do that kind of thing. The idea is that you come to a realization about something inside of yourself, about who you really are based on these inner longings. And then even if those who are closest to you say, oh, you can't do that, mm -hmm. you don't have what it takes, or you have too many responsibilities or obligations that you have to fulfill to take that sort of idea seriously. The one I think of as a prime example of this is the Let It Go song from Frozen, where the character Elsa, after inadvertently exposing her snow powers actually her sister forces her to she outs her. her yeah well she takes her glove off and then she gets all emotional and she starts freezing stuff and there's this old conservative and he says sorcery <laughs> and uh he's suddenly you know the whole, whole group of people there oh no and you know she's trying to get away and then he calls her a monster and you know the whole society turns against her and she runs away inadvertently triggering an ice age 
And then she goes off to a place where she can be her authentic self. And she creates a little paradise there, an ice Mm -hmm. palace. And she sings this song. And I I won't go through, I certainly won't sing it for our (laughs) audience. (laughs) One of the things she says in this song is, don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, well, now they know. And so this is the idea that society was constraining her, Mm -hmm. causing her to repress her true identity. And she had been the good girl. They told her to be the good girl. Well, now she's not going to conceal it anymore. Now she's going to be her her authentic self. And then the next line is, let it go. Let it go. Uh, Later on, she says, I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway which is sort of like this idea of the individual against society in heroic self-expression. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to be my true self. She literally triggers an ice age, and she says, well, the cold never bothered me. Yeah. So I guess that's their problem. But that's not the point of the, <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> you don't, um, they don't talk about that. No, no, they don't. And then later on she says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. This is a, a very strong expression of this hyper-individualism where it's the person over against anything external, any rules or morals of any kind are secondary to her expressing her true self. And, you know, to be clear, I'm not trying to say that this this song or Disney in general is is promoting a particular agenda. However, I am going to say that this song tapped a cultural nerve. Yes. And I say that because of how it was received and how many awards it has won, whether a Grammy or, or an Academy Award or reaching the Billboard Hot 100 chart. I mean, this song was big and it was a huge moneymaker. Certainly. And it, it was a running joke for a long time anytime it came on because <laughs> yes. people were so tired of hearing it that, oh man, not this song again. But that's just how popular it became. Yeah. Something that makes you cringe because you're sick of hearing it right. is an indication of how popular it has become, right? The only songs that have, like you said, hit that sort of cultural nerve take off into the stratosphere the way this song did. And there are other right. examples, you know, of, of songs doing the same thing and being transcending a song and being more of a phenomenon. Yeah. And I think this song fits that. Well, people relate to it. They look at this song and they say, this is who I want to be. Or they look at this song and they say, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And this, yeah. this makes sense to me or, or it encourages me in that direction. Just another couple quick examples. One is uh, a school I went to, Boston University. The initials are BU. And their slogan is B-E-Y-O-U. The idea there is, if you want to be you, come to be you. I don't think that would have worked 10 years ago. Yeah, it would I, th- I think people would have been like, well, I actually want to be better than I currently am. I want to be, I want to excel or I want a career or whatever. Whereas now it's like, this is a place where you can be you. Right. Whereas before, anywhere else you went in your life, you could never be your, the truest form of yourself. But at Boston University, you can be you. Right. So let's talk about some benefits and detriments of individualism. People who sort of need to get out of situations that they're in 
can fit this mold. You know, Martin Luther King, for example, had passion and talent in a given in a certain area and really took advantage of that actualized what you know righted serious wrongs and stood up for you know for what was right over against cultural norms oh totally i mean you know the whole civil rights movement was that's what it was was pushing back against the culture and i think any anytime somebody is not happy in their life and i wasn't happy you know down in new york city the next step is to sort of get yourself out of it. I want to mention something about Martin Luther King. I saw this movie called The Vernon John Story, and it was a movie about a black preacher in Alabama at the same church that Martin Luther King Jr. would become a pastor at, and he was there before King. They show the scene in the movie where there's an issue on the bus where the bus driver is telling a black person to move from where they're sitting. And Vernon John stands up and he says, I'm not riding this bus if this is how you're going to treat us. And he turns to all the other black folks on the bus and he says, come with me, let's get off. Mm. And they hang him out to dry. The black folks do? Yeah. He gets off and it's awkward and embarrassing. Nobody follows him Mm. and the bus just rolls on down the road. And I think whether or not that's a historically accurate scene or it just expresses the general mindset of the time today we don't realize what it what the black mindset was like in this period where king and malcolm x are doing what they're doing because they're not just dealing with white racism against black people they're also dealing with black people that are saying look we don't need to stir up controversy right you know, this is going to go worse for us. They're going to they're going to lynch us or they're going to persecute us or they're going to kick us out. Things are going to get worse by fomenting this sort of discontent. So, I mean, there, there's a lot there for individualism. Yeah, I think King felt pressure and in the movement itself. You look at and actually Malcolm X is a good example. King was very nonviolent. He preached nonviolence and right. there was a faction of the civil rights that you know, wanted to militarize and wanted to push back physically. And King taught that, you know, that's never going to achieve the kind of results that we want. Yeah, he wanted to change the heart of the white man. He didn't want to just get equal rights. He wanted respect. Yeah. So in addition to fighting the institutional racism perpetrated by by white people and by the government and by school districts and, yeah, Jim Crow laws... uh, you know, he was also dealing with this faction of the movement that wanted to get violent and get physical. So it's multiple fronts. And, you know, not anybody could successfully navigate that the way that King did to the extent that he did. Well, I think somebody with a group mindset is going to say, well, this is what the group is saying. This is what the culture is saying. This is what my own people are saying. Who am I to right. call it on to question? Right. And I think as Americans, especially, we have a much more individualistic mindset than people in other cultures, even this day around the world, where we believe in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We believe in the American dream, or at least we used to. It's part of the myth of, (laughs) or the sort of mythology around being an American and... I can do anything. Right, being the hard chargers and, you know, put a man on the moon type type mindset. Yeah. 
so there, these are some of the benefits of individualism. Another one is, for example, that in the old days, it was required for people to go to church. Mm-hmm. There was tremendous social pressure to go to church, whether or not you were a Christian, whether or not you wanted to follow Christ. And so individualism, I think, has really improved that situation because Jesus could not stand hypocrisy. And so I think if the two choices are going to church and faking it, and you don't believe anything that is being said, and you're just doing it to look the part, or not going, I think not going is much more in line with what Jesus said right. than faking it and being a hypocrite. Uh, so that would be another example, or looking at technologists like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Elon Musk or any number of these entrepreneurial types who said, okay, I see the way the world is, but I imagine a world that is so much better and I'm going to take risks in order to see that it happens. And I know there are plenty of naysayers out there that say, this is just ridiculous, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Right. And we've seen what that can produce in this country. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some detriments of individualism. I've got two examples here myself. The first relates to marriage. A lot of times people get married and they say, I want a spouse who's not going to change me, who's going to be compatible with me, who is going to fulfill me, help me to be my genuine self. And that is their mindset going into marriage. And then when the reality of marriage hits them and they're is compromise and there are changes that each person has to make in different ways or some other person comes along with whom you're more compatible it's easy to jump ship or to just say well this isn't working yeah regardless of what someone's beliefs are about divorce we can all agree that divorce is painful and not preferred <laughs> uh, across the board, whether Christian or atheist or uh, whatever someone's beliefs are. This individualistic mindset can easily contribute to relational pain and marital suffering and divorce. And then the other example I have related to parenting, and the idea there is if someone brings children into the world as a way of satisfying their own longing to become a parent or to carry on their legacy or to work in the field. I don't know what, why people have kids. <laughs> Says a man that has uh, three of his I own. do have three boys. And when the reality of recalcitrant children arises and they turn against you in rebellion and disobedience and they're not perfect little people to follow in your footsteps all the time and they maybe they want to do follow a totally different path, what, do, what is someone supposed to do then? just ditch their family and not raise their children anymore. And yet that's precisely what we see an epidemic of in our society, in in our land, is so many broken families, whether we're talking maritally or parents that are not parenting their kids or just abandoning their kids. And the psychological damage that that causes is just incalculable. So I think those are just two examples of detriments of this mindset where I'm going to be me over against what my spouse, my kids, my church, my society, tradition, or certainly the Bible has to say. Yeah, the idea of, of hyper-individualism can, 
contribute to a lot of unhappiness because you look at your situation and you look at all the things that you don't like about your life and you don't like about your relationships. And if you're following this hyper-individualistic narrative, you're, you say, well, this isn't me right now. Somewhere along the line, I, you know, I took a wrong exit and I'm in this situation and you know what? Damn the consequences. I need to get out of this. I need to do me. And that whole mindset of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, ma and finding happiness, I mean, that can lead to a lot of decisions that people make that really negatively affect, you know, other people in their lives, negatively affect their communities. Yeah, definitely. Let's deconstruct this idea for a bit here. Just listening to your description a second ago, it sounded like what you were honestly talking about is just selfishness. Yeah. It's somebody saying, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care how it affects anyone else. I mean, that's, that's just selfishness. And yet this hyper-individualism, I, I find it hard to distinguish between this mindset and just plain right. old bald-faced selfishness. Right. There are, there are definitely some downsides to this mindset, as we've already described in marriage and parenting. As a principle of life, as a life philosophy, hyper-individualism also fails because it creates an unstable identity. And let's just face it, our deepest longings and desires change over time. I mean, mm -hmm. my desires 10 years ago are totally different than what my desires are today. And secondly, looking within my heart at my inner impulses and desires can easily cause confusion because oftentimes I will find conflicting mindsets within me. I like to use this example of an astronaut beach bum. And mm -hmm. so here's somebody who she wants to grow up and become an astronaut. And at the same time, she just wants to soak the rays in on the beach. And let's say both of these desires are in her heart just as strong to be an astronaut and to just lounge on the beach. And yet if she's going to be an astronaut, she's going to have to work so hard studying that she's not going to have time to make trips to the beach. And so in order to be her authentic self as an astronaut, she has to sacrifice her desire to be on the beach. But if she goes to the beach, then she'll find those sun rays to satisfy her soul. <laughs> but at the same time, she'll lose out this opportunity to be this world-class physicist or astronaut or whatever. So, and, and then here's where it gets really interesting. Let's say she's prone to skin cancer and she doesn't have the aptitude to get into the top-notch school required to become an aerospace engineer. So neither is her true self. <laughs> so what do we say to somebody in that situation? We say to her, too bad, you can't be a real person. You're not a real human because you can't really follow your dreams. First of all, there's the problem of conflict. And then second of all, there's the problem of fulfillment. So those are two other major issues with this as a philosophy of life. And then a third one is that our, our hearts are often not very good sources of morality. No. I use for that the example of a serial rapist. You know, this person looks inside their heart and they see something really dark. And they say to their friends, you know, I've, I've been looking, I've been doing some reflecting and I've decided that I, I really just like to, I, I just like to dominate other people and defile them. And that's what gives me joy in life. And his friend says, well, you do realize that's wrong. Mm. And even if you didn't think that's wrong, you're going to jail if you do it. And... 
I don't think I want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> yeah, basically. <that's, laughs> and then that person, be. you know, if they are hyper individualist, should be able to say, you're just trying to impose your own sense of morality on me. I'm not like other people. I'm unique. I've been stifling this desire for too long and I need to wake up to who I really am and let it go. Yeah. And I mean, that's an extreme example, but I think you can look at more common sort of examples of where that might happen. You say you start a family and you're, and you have a kid and then you have uh, another kid and that kid happens to be special needs and he's not getting the, the, the kind of care he needs and it's a really hard life. And you know, what do you do in that situation? If, if you're following this hyper individual script and this is not you, then that might lead you down a path of wanting to basically abandon your children. And, and, you know, that's another extreme example. And I don't know how often that happens, but I know that oh, I'm sure it happens. Yeah. Like if you're following the script to the T and you're steeped in this culture that propagates the script, you know, that's something that you consider. You consider, you know, what if I, you know, I just left it all behind me and I, and I went out and, and I did, it's, it's like the E pray love. The, the plot of that is she was in an unhappy marriage. She got divorced and she went out to find happiness. And I think it could be a dangerous sort of way to think that can lead to a lot of heartache, not only for yourself, but for the people who are around you. Tim Keller talks about the issue when we think we're being our authentic selves, but in reality, we're just dancing to the drumbeat of the culture. And he says, he writes, imagine an Anglo-Saxon warrior in Britain in AD 800. He has two very strong inner impulses and feelings. One is aggression. He loves to smash and kill people when they show him disrespect. Living in a shame and honor culture with its warrior ethic, he will identify with that feeling. He will say to himself, that's me, that's who I am, I will express that. The other feeling he senses is same-sex attraction. To that he will say, that's not me. I will control and suppress that impulse. Now imagine a young man walking around Manhattan today. He has the same two inward impulses, both equally strong, both difficult to control. What will he say? He will look at the aggression and think, this is not who I want to be, and will seek deliverance in therapy and anger management programs. He will look at his sexual desire, however, and conclude, that is who I am. So in other words, hyper-individualism is all about the individual saying, I'm being my authentic self, but in reality, the impulses within their heart they choose to express and the ones they choose to repress are determined based on what they think is good and bad, and they inherit that from their parents, their friends, their culture. culture. Yeah. So in other words, hyper-individualism is not really individualism, if you think about it. Why don't you bring out some of the Christian perspective on this, sure. Dan? Uh, how, how do we approach this as Christians? Because I, I feel like neither of us wants to say everything about individualism is wrong, everything about courageous self-expression is wrong, but at the same time, we're worried, at least I'm worried, about the selfishness aspect of it. So yeah. how does Christianity mesh with this? I think from a biblical point of view, uh, the Bible clearly states in a few different places that our moral compass doesn't always give us an accurate reading. Right. Um, you know, it says in Jeremiah 17, I think 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We are not good judges of morality of our own lives. It's, it's very hard to argue that as well because, I mean, you look at all of the, the bad decisions that we make on a regular basis, whether it yeah. be in your own life or whether it be 
on a, you know, international scale of, of you know, conflicts that, that governments get into and... Um, well, the world's a mess. Yeah, basically, the world's a mess. The human heart is an interesting thing. <laughs> it's, it's a little complicated because we do have good and bad within us. And the problem is that the bad or the wickedness within us is deceitful. And that was in that verse where it says the heart is deceitful above all things. That's really, I think, the biggest issue is that I am prone to think good is bad and bad is good. I am prone to think that what God says is right is immoral and what God says is wrong is moral. <laughs> and and the, the way out of that is to recognize that I'm a finite, limited human being who cannot figure out life on my own without any help from someone who actually knows what they're doing. And in this case, that someone is God because God is the creator. And if God created us, it just makes sense that he would know how to achieve human flourishing. Mm -hmm. The Christian perspective on hyper-individualism is not to say that we should never buck the system. The Bible's full of examples of people who challenged, I mean, look at Jesus, constantly challenging social norms, yeah. right? But he also constantly said, I do not seek to do my own will. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I speak the words that he has commanded me to speak. The works that I do are not my own, but he who sent me. And so always Jesus talks about how he depends, he's so humble, he depends on his father yeah. to know what to do. I mean, the example of Moses, Moses didn't want to talk to Pharaoh. He said, you know, Lord, I am, I am a, he was a foolish man and that he, that he couldn't speak well. And he was scared of... Very humble of, man. Yeah. And, and yet he challenged the most powerful man in the world at that time. Right. I mean, this but is... But not this for is himself. A, he was already no. scot-free. He was already out in the ice palace. Right. He had already except gotten away. A, <laughs> except it was a desert. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great example because there you have the interesting mixture of humility and courageous action over against social norms and it's not individualistic at all it's acting on behalf of the people as god has called him to do and the whole idea of just giving into your impulses look from a biblical perspective it is not heroic to give into your lusts no it's weakness that's, yeah that's weakness masquerading as courage it's not courage and from a scriptural point of view, like, for example, Romans 6, the whole pattern is that you're going to be a slave one way or another. You can either be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. What do you want to do? And we really want to be in control. We want to be the ones who are determining everything. That's really in opposition to the Christian point of view where Jesus says the first thing he says to people who want to follow him is, says, look, if anyone wants to come and follow me, that's, that's great. But you have to deny yourself, yeah. take up your cross, and follow me. The first thing he says is deny yourself. It's a hard... It's really to hard. To be submissive to, yeah. to something, especially to be submissive to God. Once we come to realize the problem of sin, that it's sort of like ingrained in our bones, mm. and we really can't escape sin on our own. We are slaves to... That's Romans 6. It's saying we are slaves to sin. We don't have a good grasp of what's right and wrong. And even when we think we're doing right, we're sometimes doing wrong, and we are just enslaved to sin. And if we understand the oppressiveness of sin, 
then subordinating our will to God's will is liberation. Yeah. It's true freedom because you're becoming free from the most insidious master, one that is inside yourself and that is so intertwined with your own thoughts that you can't tell the difference between when it's a, a, a negative fleshly impulse and when you're just being an authentic person that God made you to be. And so we submit ourselves to an external. That external is God and what God says is right. And in that, we find true freedom. And then within that mindset, within those parameters, we can follow our dreams and we can do it to the glory of God. And we can pursue whatever career, you know, so long as it's in line with God's will. And then it will not be this detrimental, terrifying thing when it, when it lets us down because God's our satisfaction, not yeah. the job or our spouse. Yeah. I think it's really powerful what Christianity has yeah, to say. When God here. is your sufficiency, the world can be falling down around your ears. And in a hyper-individualistic mindset, somebody would say, I need to get out of the situation. I need to do this. I need to do that. And whoever, whoever it affects, it doesn't matter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of the situation because I need to do me. Whether or not that's the truth, fine, whatever. But that can have, you know, a negative impact on the people around you. And from, but from a godly point of view, the world's falling down around your ears. You run to God, and God is the one that fixes it. God is the one that knows best how to fix it. How many times have you tried to make a situation better, and you wound up making it worse? Many times. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it's very hard to get it right. But if God is your sufficiency, you immediately run to Him. You pray, you ask for guidance, and it's not self-determination. It's what God wants, and God wants what's best for you. Right, right. So you're, it, That's it's important. Okay. That's it, important, because he's not out to get us. Right. It's okay that you're not in control. God is, and I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to be in a better situation mm-hmm. than if I had, you know, sort of taken the reins and tried to do it myself. Well, I think you have a strong intuition that God wants what's best for you. Mm-hmm. You have a strong belief about that. And I think that's really important because for many of us, it's really, really hard to trust someone else with something this big, such as like telling us how to live. <laughs> yeah, as big as it gets. <laughs> yeah, it's about as big as it gets. So the way we determine if someone's trustworthy is we look at their track record. Mm-hmm. And you look at God's track record, and he is so loving, and he's so patient, and he longs to have a relationship with us. You look at what God says about what happens in the end, and it's not a bunch of people sort of wired into a collective mind saying over and over, glory to God, glory mm-hmm. to God. That's not the picture of the end. The picture of the end is human culture and flourishing and farms and wine and harmony uh, yeah rejoicing and and there's exploration and we're on this world a material world building and doing things all in the light of god's glory and all to his glory he is the one that made us he knows how best to fulfill us Mm -hmm. and we just have to trust him i mean that's the garden of eden right adam and eve they just did not trust that God had their best interest at heart. The serpent said, he knows that if you eat of this tree, you're going to be like God's knowing good and evil. Mm -hmm. In other words, God's holding you back. Right. He doesn't have your best interest. You have to reach out. You have to take it. Forget the law that God gave you not to touch this tree. You have to express yourself over against that. Take what's rightfully yours so that you can reach your full human potential. 
And that really worked out well for them, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still working out well. Right. That's our lot. You know, we're always prone to do that. But God is so trustworthy. And the best example I know of it, looking throughout the Bible, is the cross itself, where God gives his only begotten son for us so that we could be made right, so that we could experience his love, and so that we could come back to him. Yeah. I think somebody giving their only begotten son, at least for me, it's proof enough that he has my best interests in mind. And, and the grace that God has bestowed upon me has saved me countless times from situations that should have ended badly for me. I can testify to that too. Yeah, it's hard not to look back and say, wow, you know, God is looking out for me. Yeah. All right, well, that's enough for today. We'll look at next week the subject of tolerance and what the Christian view is on that and how that relates to the culture. So this is Sean Finnegan signing off. This is Dan Fitzsimmons signing off. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please take a moment and give Restitutio a review in iTunes. This will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.